So we are thinking about how we grow, and we're in a season of growth. The, the title of this teaching over this term is A Time to Grow, and we wanted to talk this morning about growing as a worshiping community. And this text from Hebrews is, uh, is a phenomenal text, full of imagery and metaphors uh, and powerful um, and it's a, it can be thought of as a, a, a story of, uh, of two mountains, if you want. Um, and more profoundly, what it is, is a story of two ways in which we connect with God. Okay, so uh, it's, it, here it is. It's, uh, you know, um, it's two mountains. And each mountain uh, represents a way to connect with God. So let's think a bit about the first mountain. Here you go. And this is a mountain, this, this uh, bit of the New Testament is written to followers of Jesus who've become followers out of a pagan background and are now starting to, to struggle, and they're being attacked, and they're starting to be persecuted for their faith. There's pressure coming on them to give up on following Jesus. And in this context, the writer of Hebrews says this, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those heard it begged that no further word could be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. Um, and the implication of that quote is, let alone if a human being touches it, how much worse would it be if a, if a dumb animal gets stoned by touching it? What if you as a human being touch this mountain? The sight was so terrifying that Moses, the great leader of God's people, said, I am trembling with fear. Okay. That's awesome. What's the first mountain? What, those of you who, apart from those of you who are in our small group on Thursday night, who know all the answers to this because we workshopped it together. Um, what's the mountain? Any, any guesses? It's Mount Sinai. So the first mountain. <laughs> it's Sinai. Okay, now, uh, if you think back to uh, what we've been talking about over the last couple of months, or even your knowledge of um, Akkadian and Babylonian culture from 3,000 years ago, what did mountains represent in the worldview of the day? What happened on a mountain? Sacrifices, yes, yep, that 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 could happen. But what else? What was, what happened? Yep, you built cities on top of them on hills. Yep, not not really mountains, but good good. Yep. A mountain was the place where divinity and humanity connected. The mountain, mountains were the meeting place 
of the gods, of the Elohim, of, the, of spiritual reality meeting with physical embodied reality, okay? That was what happened at mountains. And on Mount Sinai, this is what happens. You see that Yahweh descends and shows up on Mount Sinai and connects with his people. So here we have Yahweh. Here we have Israel. Yahweh turns up, but there is a massive, big uh, barrier put around here, isn't there? And uh, Israel comes here and is rebuffed. They're terrified. This is a place of, uh, of terror and of judgment. Why? I mean, aren't Israel God's people? Like, look at the words that are used to describe this, right? You've come to a mountain that can't be touched, that's burning with fire, darkness, gloom, and storm. And it's so bad that, that Israel are there begging God to stop speaking because you go, the word that has been spoken from here is just killing me. Okay, so what's the word? Why is it so bad? God is perfect and Israelites aren't. Thanks, Sally. Yes, that's, that's a way into this, this, this thinking. Let's, um, let's think about it, right? Uh, human beings, we, we are made to belong. We're made to connect. And deeply hardwired inside of us is a longing to connect with God and as we connect with God, there is also a hardwired inside of us, this longing to be in charge of the world, to rule the world, to, to be our little, to be little gods, to be, have agency and purpose, uh, dominion, power, stewardship over the world. That's what we, we long, we long for connection and we long for a job and we want to do that. And we value ourselves around those things. And God's plan from Genesis 1, if you recall, was that as human beings we were made for connection with God, to be deeply, intimately connected, wandering around the Garden of Eden with all of spiritual reality, and as we did that, to share with God the job of ruling the world. The problem that Israel had, the problem that all humanity has since the Garden of Eden is we've decided that we, d we want to take up our job without dependence on God. That is, I still want to rule the world, but I want to do it on my terms. And I want to connect with God, but I want to do it on my terms. I don't want God to be God. I want to approach God as an equal. And that's, that's a terrible place to be with God. Uh, it's very dangerous. It's dangerous for us spiritually. It's psychologically crushing. Now, you might say, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Well, we know the danger of this reality and the shame and the terror of 
trying to do something that we're not up to do and connect with people who are far more glorious and wonderful than us. We, we know that in our own experience. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this. Um, many years ago, I, we moved to Melbourne to uh, be part of a large church. Paul later joined as the rector there, and I was on staff. And um, I, I'm, an, I'm a weekend warrior musician, as you could no doubt tell this, this, this morning. I, I love playing music in church. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not very good. I'm just, you know, eh, eh, eh. So I go to this church, and it's a large church, and it had a fabulous musical culture. And in the evening service, they ran uh, very successfully once a month a, an experience of church that was aimed at unchurched teenagers. The church we're at in Kew is in the middle of 30,000 uh, private school students. Um, so wonderful. You know Melbourne, a wonderful part of the world. And so to, to, to connect with these private school students, once a month we'd run a big rock concert. And so they pick, uh, put on a whole night's entertainment built around covers of local, of uh, contemporary, like top 40 songs with drama and music and a talk and try and help people connect with Jesus through that contemporary culture. And I arrived, and, and in discussions with, with Peter Corney, who was then the vicar and others, I'd said, yeah, you know, I play a bit of music, I play guitar, and I play bass. And so the, the team of musicians who ran this event, which we called Sunday Night Live, went, oh, that's fantastic, Mark. Um, we, we need another bass player. That'd be awesome. So, okay, so come along to the first one. I don't know, we started in February. So come along to the one in March, and you can play in April. And I'm like, okay, that'll be fine, I'm sure. And uh, if you know anything about music... What they did to me then was they gave me a cassette tape and said, ah, oh, here are the songs we're doing. Go away and learn them. And I'm like, this is before YouTube, before anything. No sheet music, no tabs, no coaching. Here's the songs. Go and learn them. You know, it's, rad it's um, Radiohead, Super Freak, and other things. And I'm like... And then I, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a challenge. Like, I'm not really good at learning, like, you know, contemporary bass lines by ear. And then... The first Sunday night live came, and I went along. You know, I'd come from a little suburban church up in Sydney and had an ex come into this room, and there are our musicians playing covers of all the latest music. And we've got a professional drummer, and we've got all the musicians are professional or near professional level, and we've got Charlie Brondolino playing a five-string fretless bass, slapping, playing these incredible funk rhythms, and I'm sitting there going, woe is me. I am a bass player of unclean hands. I am of such limited ability. I do not belong in that group, no matter how much I might try. If I go and play on that stage, it is going to be the end of me. The shame, the humiliation, the judgment, the failure. So I quietly said, <laughs> I'm not even worthy to touch an instrument on that stage. Uh, Charlie, you're on again next month. Brian, you know what that's like. Don't you? you, you suddenly, when you're, when you're in, the, in the presence of glory, of real greatness, that, that vastly exceeds your own ability and capacity and competence, it's incredibly humbling and crushing. Now, I mean, I just have to say to the guys at Sunday Night Live, ah, yeah, no, 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 that is way beyond me, and it was fine. 
this is what our relationship with God is like. You know, we, we, we want to walk around going, yeah, I can, I can rule the world. I'm, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, I can, I can, if I work hard at it and I'm smart and I'm religious, I, I'm okay at this business and I'm okay to connect with God because like, that's what I want and I'm actually pretty good, right? God is above us infinitely more than Charlie Brondolino was above me on bass. <laughs> Woe is me. That's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when he had a vision of God in the temple, he, those are the words he says, Woe is me, for I am an unclean person, and I live amongst the people who are unclean. He says, when we encounter glory... <sighs> We see the extent of our own inadequacy. And that's what's going on. He says, don't touch it. Don't try and get there by yourself because it just won't work. Now, um, that's... It's in, I can say that to you, but it can be very hard to actually understand and believe, can't it? Because... <laughs> We all struggle with, um, well, depending on our personality, uh, let, me, let me nuance that a little more. Some of you might feel instantly, yes, of course, that's me. I'm terrible. I'm awful. I'm not good at anything. So some of us actually internalize and very easily feel full of shame and inadequacy. Um, but others of us, we struggle with this. We're like, no, no, no. Of course I'm okay. If I try hard and if I'm religious, if I'm good, say, no, no. The question then is, how do we, how can we connect with God? How is that possible? Without being killed, without being shamed, without being destroyed. Like, what, what do we have to do? Because it's hardwired in us, right? We long for it. We, you and I know, don't we, that, that just like I would love to be a really good musician, I'd love to be good enough to play with a really, really phenomenal, I'd love to be a, you know, playing in Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, playing bass with him, just doing it like that. That'd be amazing. It's never going to happen, but I still long for it. Um, we long for that. We, we long for a spiritual connection, don't we, with the divine, with something transcendent, with something beyond us that will infuse our lives with joy and meaning and purpose. And we long to do something with our lives that really matters. We long to, to actually shape the world well and love well and change the world and make it a better place. So how is that going to happen? Well, there's a second mountain, right? Um, isn't there? And what's the second mountain? It's Mount Zion. And uh, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. And, uh, and on Mount Zion, here you've got uh, Yahweh. And here you've got all the Elohim, you've got thousands of angels. And you know what else you've got? You've got free and open access. You've got us. How? How do we get in? How do, I, how do we get in and connect with God and make this work. Well, well, look at the, these are some of the most extraordinary words. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That is, you, you're now in. You've made it in. 
You've made it into connect with God in a way that no other human before had been able to do this. And you've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. This is the, uh, this is the angels partying, right? Like, I love this, joyful. Um, this is actually a joyful, divine council is really what it's saying. Thousands of angels there. And you know what? And we take our part. We've come to the church of the firstborn. That is um, the church of those, the gathering. The word church there is just gathering. We've come to the community of those who belong to the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? The firstborn son of God is Jesus himself. So this is the gathering of those who belong to Jesus whose names are written in heaven. The, the Hebrews from Daniel onwards had this, this idea that those who belong to God will have their names written in this great big record of those who are in the family. And you've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. Okay, so um, this, is, this is important, right? We are fit for heaven we are made perfect, the righteous ones, the believers in Jesus are made perfect. We're fit for heaven. God does something in us. What does he do? Well, look at what he does. He is the mediator of a new covenant. We come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Cain and Abel a uh, story in Genesis, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. Abel's blood, Abel's blood cries out for justice and for vengeance. What word does Jesus' blood speak? I just need to change my picture here a little. We all come in, and we come in through the cross of Jesus, whose blood speaks a better word. And you know what word the blood of Jesus speaks? The blood of Jesus says to you and to me, uh, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're fit for heaven, everything is dealt with, you are now able to come in and take your place in the divine council with all the angels and all the other spiritual beings. Everything you've longed for but you couldn't get because you attempted on your own, that is now given to you because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done for you. So you belong. You can connect with God. And you can take your place in the joyful assembly, which means in the divine council, which means you can fulfill your, man, your calling and your purpose to rule the world with God, to, to, to steward the world, to look after the world, to make the world a better place. He says everything you long for to connect with God and to live a great life is given to you now through the, through the sprinkled blood of Jesus because this is what he's done for you. And the result of that is that you will get, um, you will get an unshakable kingdom Okay, because if, um, so this is the next bit of the passage, uh, God shakes the world as an act of judgment, but if all the judgment has fallen on Jesus, all the shaking, all the, the, the reason we can come into God's presence is because Jesus has taken upon himself all our judgment, all our imperfections, all our shame, all our guilt. Therefore, Jesus brings us in as our big brother into the Father's home, 
And now you have an unshakable kingdom. That is, nothing can get in the way of you belonging to God, and nothing can get in the way of your joy in ruling the world with the Elohim forever. Unshakable, a foundation to stand on. And then, look at how it ends. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, we're with God now. Let us be thankful or grateful and so worship God with reverence and awe. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, the emotional response to this uh, is fear, shame, and despair. That's what happens, right? Like, I'm terrified of being exposed. I, I can't make it. I'm full of shame at my exposure, and, and eventually I, I give in to despair. That's where we end up. What's the response to this? Well, it's gratitude. Gratitude that drives worship. It's gratitude that drives worship. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what are we doing here? What is this? It's this here. And now I have to draw in three dimensions now. So you imagine this is like in the future or above us. What we're doing here on a Sunday is we are... Uh, uh, I'll just call it Sunday because that's us now. On Sunday, what we are trying to do is we're, we're, we're expressing in time and space here and now what is currently and eternally true of us. This gathering, our time together now, is meant to be and in fact is a modeling of this joyful assembly of the thousands of angels worshiping uh, the, the God above all gods because of the sprinkled blood of Jesus. This gathering is meant to be, and in fact is, a glimpse of the heavenly Jerusalem of Mount Zion. So I was thinking we could rebrand the church. The Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, ecclesiastical assembly Church of the Firstborn of Roselle. I think that'd work, hey? Those, those of you who are into branding and marketing, you're like, yes, Mark, I can see, I can see that working. <laughs> well, do you, know who, do you know who gets this vision of church historically? Well, listen to Negro spirituals. Listen to the experience of, of the slaves on plantations in America who get the gospel and it comes to them in the context of centuries of oppression and hardship, but they get that they are on a journey to the new Jerusalem and, and their worship is, is the worship of Mount Zion, of joyful assembly even while their master who preaches to them on Sunday, whips them on Monday. Like that's, that's what's meant to happen. 
So we're meant to come in. And do you know what's the other amazing thing about church? This worship is fueled by gratitude, not by duty. We don't come to do this in order to win God's approval or prove to others that we're really spiritual and sorted out. None of that. We come as a bunch of recovering addicts, addicted to a life without God, addicted to self-medicating the pain of this life with all kinds of independence, all kinds of workaholism, all kinds of substance abuse, all kinds of, of crazy maladaptive coping strategies. We just come as a bunch of recovering addicts to, to come to God and say, you have done it all, so we're welcome to connect with you. And here's the thing, because we're, we're, we come by gratitude to worship this God. This community is open to anyone in the same way that Mount Zion is. You come through Jesus. Anyone can join. You just, just walk in. Just walk in and worship. Like, you know, irrespective of ethnicity or social status, sexual orientation, health, cognitive ability, uh, state of personal hygiene, coolness, um, religious background. You just go, man, just can't. Like, that's the mount. That's what we want to draw into the present, isn't it? I don't know. It's like, that seems pretty cool to me. <laughs> and it's not just me who delivers this for you or the band. It's the, the vision of us to grow as a worshiping community is that that we're, our hearts are so full of gratitude because of what God has done for us to speak a better word. And I, I don't know, for me, that as I've been preparing this and thinking about this, um, this is the better word. Instead of judgment, shame, and exclusion, the better word is forgiveness, grace, inclusion, hope, life, joy. That's what I want. I have a lot of lousy words spoken over me in my life. Haven't you? Like criticism and judgment and you're not enough and I don't love you enough to stick around. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Uh, you know, like we've all, we have terrible words and we, and we speak terrible words to ourselves, don't we? Monday to Saturday, don't you? I'm not enough. For, you know, I'm, uh, we're, we're so critical of ourselves and hard on ourselves and and then you come here and you go, there's a better word. There's a better word that I'm loved, that you're loved, that God loves you. Lord, uh, speak that better word to us this morning in a way that we can hear. Fill our hearts with gratitude and then help us grow to worship you in reverence and awe as a little foretaste for our city of the heavenly Jerusalem. And, uh, and do this, Lord, uh, not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because we desperately need it. We desperately need it. Amen.